Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, as though he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Max Savage is a musician from Dallas, Texas, who currently calls Washington, D.C. home. Best known as the drummer and a founding contributor, In the band Parquet Courts, Savage also plays guitar in Max Band, both of which remain based in New York City. On October 22, 2021, Rough Trade Records released Sympathy for Life, the excellent eighth studio album by Parquet Courts. And so Max and I connected shortly before the record was released and discussed things like living in D.C. and encountering Ian MacKay, how he came to be engaged with music as a fan and as a player, the influence of his older brother and Parquet Court's bandmate, Andrew Savage, his physical and philosophical approach to playing the drums and starting to sing more these days, how the band has been compared to and influenced by the likes of Pavement, Talking Heads, and Primal Scream, working with producer Roddy McDonald on the electronic and beat-oriented aspects of Sympathy for Life, the album Sandinista by The Clash, Civil Unrest in America, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, 
This is the 650th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Max Savage of Parquet Courts, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. And suddenly I am alone In the truest sense of the word With nothing else to hear or watch Just shadows Like an inmate that's finished his turn Hi Max, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm well. It's nice to uh, meet you. Where in the world are you? I'm in Washington, D.C., in my apartment. Oh, you live in Washington, D.C.? I didn't know that. How long have you lived there? Um, since June, so I'm pretty new to the city still. Oh, nice. Have you run into Ian Mackay? I haven't yet. I've actually seen him at Parquet Quartz shows. We've played here a lot. We've played the Black Hat, and we've played the 930 Club, and he comes out to shows sometimes, but I oh. haven't seen him you know, walking his dog yet or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're likely to run into him. He's uh, he's often around. That's great that he comes to shows. Is that is that freaky when you're playing a show in DC and Ian McKay's there? Does that does that affect you? It does. It is freaky. I, I like to think that it doesn't affect you know my performance or <laughs> the way that I act. But it's always really cool to see him. You know, and know that he still comes out to shows. Yeah. Well, he's very active and. Uh, Something of a friend of mine. So that's nice to hear. Oh, that's okay. great. Yeah, that's cool. great. Is there ever, ever been someone in the audience uh, at a Parquet Course show where you're like, what the hell? Like the, a level of either, you know, her- hero or just celebrity where you're like, whoa, okay, something's weird. Is there anyone, anyone come to mind? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, one time we were playing a festival called Pickathon in Oregon. Um, it's outside of Portland and Fred Armisen was there. He was, I think he was filming the show actually. Um, but he came to that, uh, festival and he watched our set. That was cool. Um, <laughs> we got to hang out with him for a bit actually. Oh, cool. Um, and yeah, that, that was really fun to, to meet him. <laughs> You're a fan of his comedy, I, I'm guessing. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes of the show. I haven't seen the whole thing, but, um, yeah, it is funny. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, it's uh, nice to chat with you. You mentioned you've been in D.C. since June. Uh, I su- did you move from New York? Um, I moved from New Hampshire, actually. I was living in New Hampshire for two years. Oh, I, th- there's a perception that uh, the Parquet Courts band is based in, has been based in New York. Did you ever live in New York? I did. I lived in New York for almost 10 years. And I would say that the band is very much based in New York still, because that's where we practice. And that's kind of, you know, we identify as being a New York band. So I still go back to New York like once a week. I'm there all the time. Oh, you are. Okay. Well, you got, I assume yeah. every, is everyone else still there? Austin and Andrew are still there. They're living in Brooklyn. Sean has been living in rural Pennsylvania for the past several years. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Dallas, Texas originally. Andrew and I are both from the Dallas area and we moved to New York. Um, Kind of at the same time in 2010. Okay, yeah, we I had uh, your brother on the show. Uh, oh, okay, not, cool. Like uh, I think for the last record for Wide Awake, so we we got into that, and uh, I believe they went to school. Uh, did you go to school in Denton as well? I believe they went to school in Denton. Uh, no, I went to NYU. That's why I moved to New York. Oh, okay, you moved for school. Mm-hmm. Okay, what did you take at school there? Um, I was a math major, and um, I was a creative writing minor. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect for a, a musician drummer, right? You need exactly. to, the, you need the math, yeah, the rhythm, and then you need the creative writing to be like, I don't know about those lyrics, guys. Is that, <laughs> is that your role? Like a timekeeping yeah, content I'm a, cop? I'm just the critic of the band. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, we should, uh, particularly for this beautiful new record, uh, Sympathy for Life, which, uh, has a, uh, I'm, I, I should say I'm a drummer. Uh, as well. That's how I came up playing music. And every once in a while, uh, you'll be in a band and they'll say, it'd be nice if we had like a, an electronic drum sound, uh-huh. you know, maybe a, an electronic snare sound, maybe like a drum pad. And you're like, uh oh, that's, uh, yeah. that's beyond my scope of understanding. What you want me to get a machine? I like the, my, I have my Ludwig Black Beauty snare drum. This is a very expensive snare drum. You want me to get a machine? And they yeah. say, yeah, we'd like you to get a machine. So I'm curious about you and this record as the drummer, but I also don't want to mischaracterize you. For the people listening, 
at home or wherever they are. <laughs> they, could, they don't have to be at home these days. You know that. They could be yeah. anywhere. They could be walking around. What, what, how would you characterize your role in parquet courts uh, generally? I would say generally, the most important thing is to keep time, of course. And I'd like to think that I'm sort of the glue that adheres all of the moving parts whenever, you know, Andrew and Austin are whiling out on the guitar and making a bunch of noise. You know, I'm the thing that sort of keeps it all together and I guess brings us back to square one sometimes whenever we go far out into jam territory. Okay, that's you. That's your role. Yeah. And I, I've been singing a lot too. So um, I'm, in fact, also playing a machine. I have uh, the Roland SPD that I use a lot now. So I'm sort of incorporating a lot of different elements now. I'm kind of busy back there these days. That's good. So it's actually the opposite uh, of a, a, a normal dr- a drummer who's just the drummer would have the, it would be a little worried when they start to hear that they, there needs to be a more of a, a synthetic rhythmic quality. But for you, uh, your job description has expanded. The scope of your role in parquet courts is larger than ever. Is that fair to say? That is fair. Yeah, a lot more responsibilities now. Right. So, uh, w- in terms of singing, are you taking lead singing role uh, role in any capacity, or are you mostly, uh, you know, background? There is a song that's going to be on the new record. Uh, it's called Just Shadows, and Andrew and I sing lead together. We pretty much sing the whole song in harmony. So. That's a fun one to play. It's tricky to do that and play drums at the same time, obviously. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's really fun to be able to sing with my brother. Yeah. So you grew up uh, with your brother. That's how most uh, families work. I shouldn't say that. That was insensitive. These days you never know. But you you did grow up. Play, did you play music with your brother growing up? You know, I never really did. I always wanted to. Andrew was, you know, quite a bit older. Uh, he's six years older than me. And so he was always, you know, playing in bands and stuff when I was little and I was never really able to hang out that much because, you know, I was so much younger, but I'd always wanted to play music with him. And then when we both moved to New York is when we just decided to start jamming. Oh, nice. Was he a good, uh, by the, by your, by your description, he sounds like a brother who would exclude you from fun activities, but was he generally a good, a good older brother, would you say? He was a, yeah, great older brother. I've always looked up to him. It's not that he excluded me from activity. I think, um, have, know, I mis- I, have I mischaracterized so. his role in your life? He, he, he wasn't purposeful. Being, being so much younger. And of course, you know, I, I don't think my parents were thrilled about, you know, when I was in elementary school, me like hanging out with, uh, you know, high school kids and going to shows and stuff. So, you know, there's that element of it too. That's fun, uh, having an older brother that would actually, the polar opposite of what I implied, included you in his endeavors, his activities. What kinds of shows would you see with your older brother? And, and how old were you when you saw maybe the, the most formative things where you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know that I, that could happen. And I'm, I'm curious about all of that. Well, I would go see him play a lot. I mean, like I said, he's been playing in bands since he was in middle school, but in high school, he started playing a lot. And I would go to, you know, we'd have house shows a lot in our town where I'd go see him play. And that was a lot of fun. You know, I knew kind of after seeing his band that I wanted to be in a band too. And we also uh, went to some, you know, bigger shows together. Like uh, he took me to see Bell and Sebastian play in Dallas. This would have been like uh, 2005 or 2006, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really fun. That was a great concert. And so how uh, how old are you in 2005, 2006? I would have been 13. Wow. Okay. So that's kind of, that's a good time. That's like your world. Did you, did you, I, I was just talking about this with another guest about how I was around that age when I got to start. My parents were not uh, supportive of my interest in playing music. But for some reason, and I don't, I've never talked to them about this, they kind of threw up their hands about me going to shows. I did mm-hmm. have to fudge it sometimes. The first time I saw the band Superchunk, I had to lie to them and tell them I was going to see the author Tom Robbins speak <laughs> in Toronto. I don't know why they thought that I was fine because they, those books are pretty sorted, more sorted than any Superchunk song. Uh, right. but anyway, so I had to like repress. Uh, from my parents anyway I had to sort of keep things out of just not let the, I, I had a drum kit but I told them I had borrowed it from a friend for mm-hmm. years my friend mm-hmm. loaned me my first drum kit but um, cool. yeah so anyway but I was talking about how my first shows at like 12 13 14 15 like wow 
what the hell? Like for me, it's like the whole context of a band traveling from Scotland or America coming and you go to see, like, I don't know. Was that, was that a big formative influence on you? Did it inspire you to think, wow, there's a whole world out there? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a really, really good show. And yeah, I mean, I've had uh, ambitions of playing music professionally since I was really young. I just never knew it was a possibility until people started paying attention to parquet courts. Right. Right. Okay. So your brother was in bands when it was parquet courts, your one of your first bands, if not your first band that you were in. Parquet courts was kind of, is kind of my first real band. You know, I played around, uh, with some friends in high school and stuff and we'd play just whatever we could, you know, at like a coffee shop or whatever we could find. There honestly wasn't much of a scene by the time um, I got to high school. I feel like a lot of that sort of died with uh, Andrew and his friends who kind of kept that scene alive, honestly. So in my town, there wasn't a whole, there weren't a whole lot of places to play. So we, you know, we did what we could, but yeah, parking courts is really my first experience uh, with gigging a lot and um, playing for larger crowds. That's fairly remarkable. Do you recognize that that's a little unusual that your first band is, you know, uh, popular uh, yeah. critics, critics, darling, all those sorts of things. I do. I recognize that it's unusual that I'm very fortunate. <laughs> so, okay. You're, you see your, and your brother primarily plays, well, he plays lots of things. What, what did he have a primary instrument growing up? I would say guitar in school though. He played upright bass. Hmm. I'm in the orchestra and he's also a very good electric bass player. So yeah, guitar and bass. He's very, very good at. Was he permitted to bring the upright bass home to practice? Yeah, <laughs> he used to. I think wheel at home. I I can't remember honestly. Wheel at home, like those things are expensive. That's why I asked. I, I feel like he did transport it home on foot on a few occasions, and yeah, it just sounded uh, on foot. Uh, those are like the most expensive instrument. That's that's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you see him playing guitar, bass. Did you have a first instrument before you got into drumming, or was drumming the first thing you tried? It was drums. I remember going to a band sign-up night when I was in fifth grade. I wanted to join, you know, the school band starting in sixth grade. So I went to band sign-up night. I told the band director I wanted to play drums and he sort of laughed and said, well, so does everyone else. Why don't you try playing this clarinet? And I couldn't get the clarinet to make any sound. Yeah. And he kept, you know, trying to coach me on how to position my lips and everything. And it just wasn't working. So it was like drums were meant to be. I remember after that, he had, you know, play around on drums a little bit. And I like aced the audition, I guess you could say. Oh, good for you. But yeah, it was pretty much drums from the start. Do you have any insight as to why everyone would want to play drums? Because I have been, uh, you know, it's because of maybe the pandemic and time slowing down and maybe just my age. I'm reflecting back on things I did and didn't do as a child or as a kid. And I I have had, it's weird that we're talking about this because I have had the, the memory of, Getting into uh, junior high, which for me was a just a grade seven and eight stopover before uh, high school, and there was a music class with a drum kit. And before the class actually started, when I think about it, everyone went to the drums. Everyone who wasn't assigned to play the drums would, before they got their trumpet and trombone out, they would go to play the drums, and no one could really do it. And only a few years later, I tried and I could, and but I never did in that context. But what is it about the, is it just the size of it? Why do, why do little children think that they can play the drums and want to play the drums? Do you have any insight about that? I think because it seems like it's going to be easier than it is. <laughs> I mean, you just see, you see these drums that you can just directly interact with by taking a stick and just whacking them. And that seems so fundamental and simple when you're a child. You don't realize the complexity of it and how much coordination it requires until you sit down and, you know, start playing an actual drum kit. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, it makes a lot of noise, so that's exciting too. So it's the primal aspect of it. Anyone thinks they can do it. But then there is the cold water in the face of like, this is way harder than I think it is to coordinate my feet and my hands to kind of be doing different things. So in another way, it's uh, demoralizing. It's a, the completely the most demoralizing instrument if you can't figure it out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, there are definitely bumps along the way. And, uh, I spent a lot of time practicing. Yeah. 
Well, I can tell by all the playing you do. Uh, it's Thank great. You. Your drumming is fantastic. Uh, beyond your brother being someone you looked up to, did you have drumming uh, heroes, if that's the right term, or just people you thought, oh, that's that's a way to do it? Was there anyone in your life at, in the early days where you're like, that's a great drummer. I want to try to be like them. I remember playing along to that first Strokes record a lot. Um, it came out when I was like um, nine or 10. So, I mean, you know, to me, they were like the coolest band in the world. Right. And uh, the drumming on the first two records really is just so simple and um, easy to pick up. It's very effective, obviously. Very good drumming. But yeah. um, it was really fun to play along to. And I remember uh, really looking up to those guys uh, when I was younger. There's a... I think been a something of a reassessment about Tommy Ramones drumming. Oh, in the yeah. Movie. Yeah. All those Ramones records. I mean, Marky's great too, but um, yeah, exactly. Same idea. Just simple drumming. That's very effective. Yeah. Someone pointed out a few years ago and it's really stuck with me that by their count, Tommy Ramone did not even do a drum fill until like the fourth record he was on. <laughs> And I'm like, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating because it's true. It's simple, but it, it, it's very distinct. And so it sounds like uh, that support role aspect appealed to you maybe too. It's Because where I was coming from with the why does every kid want to play drums, I think part of it is you kind of want to be the center of attention. But mm -hmm. when you yeah. start to do it with other people, you realize, no, I'm the foundation here. And if I'm not solid, the whole thing kind of falls apart or it, it doesn't work because you're too fast, you're too slow, you're this and that. Does that support role uh, aspect of drumming appeal to you and your sensibilities as a philanthropic, benevolent, kind person? Sure. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I got to keep things together whenever we're playing live. And um, that's part of my many responsibilities back there. Yeah. Have you noticed the uh, sort of rash of drumming podcasts, podcasts about drumming uh, hosted by drummers? Have you noticed this? No. What are some of the good ones? Well, I don't know them all. First of all, I'm not going to name my competition on the show. That is just <laughs> poor form. No, uh, Joe Wong has one, uh, and he talks to lots of different drummers. I don't know. Anytime I go through, I don't listen to all of them. But when I go through the um, music podcast, I notice there's like a uh, more than like, hey, it's me talking about guitar. It's almost all drummers talking about drumming from a technical and philosophical standpoint so i i just wonder you seem to be someone who's thought a lot about drumming and its place in the world let alone in bands uh do you think it has some larger significance beyond it being a primal uh urge that we have to hit things and make sounds like uh is there anything that goes on in your mind about the philosophy of drumming so to speak well, it's also very therapeutic um, and it's great stress relief, especially if you've been on the road, you know, with the same people for a month at a time. And, you know, sometimes there are tensions and there are disagreements, obviously, but you sort of get out all that energy every night on stage and drums, you know, are especially powerful because it's a physical release of all that energy. And yeah, I mean, it's a great way to just like sweat it out, you know. Yeah, no, it's the full body workout. I like to say, mm -hmm. uh, I like that aspect of it too. Do you in your apartment? Uh, is it an apartment in DC that you're at? Is that what you said? Yes. No drum kit, I assume, set up somewhere. No, I have um, a little studio in New York, which I go to a lot. Like I said, I try to get there uh, once a week. Um, I spend usually at least a day there, sometimes two days uh, yeah. during the week. and. Um, yeah, I have, that's where I rehearse with uh, my other projects. So yeah, it's good to get in there as much as possible. What's the other project? Uh, it's called Max Band. Max Band, this is name named for you? Yes. You really put yourself up front there. That's a very... <laughs> that's, it actually that's wasn't a... my idea. My bandmates in Max Band suggested it. And I sort of reluctantly agreed because I was outvoted three to one. I see. I was going to say that's the perfect uh, little brother band name. <laughs> Max band. No, this one's me. Okay. Everyone else can screw off this one. No, that's good. Uh, how active is Max band these days? Fairly active. We just played at the Bowery ballroom in Manhattan last month. Um, we're probably going to be playing some more shows before the end of the year. That's a big room. Did you, were you opening for someone or were you headlining? Uh, we played right before a place to bury strangers. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're pretty that big. Was a really cool show. Yeah. It was loud. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Did we ever establish why you ended up in D.C.? We talked about New York. We talked about New Hampshire. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. commuting to New York from D.C. Uh, what? But you need to go by train or something? It's not. It's not that far, is it? I take the Amtrak, and yeah, it's it's a quick train ride. It's about three hours. But I moved to D.C. because my wife got a job with the National Park Service. Oh, cool. Good for mm-hmm. you. Good for both of you. That's great. Yeah. Is that going well with all the pandemic stuff? Are people going to the parks? People, yeah, I would say more people started going to the parks than ever, honestly. Um, parks blew up during the pandemic because people were looking for ways to get outside, and that was one of the ways you could do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, no, it's good. I'm glad uh, we've we've established all these things. So you, your band, Parquet Courts, not Max Band. Sorry, the band you're in that isn't Max Band, Parquet Courts, you started working on Sympathy for Life from what I understand, before the pandemic, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, we started recording it in fall of 2019. Wow. And then from what I understand, the pandemic lockdown stuff started to occur somewhere in that recording process. Is that right? Like, I mean, the the idea that initially in the, when you started in the fall, I mean, there probably wasn't even on anyone's radar in terms of, you know, the mainstream. But then by November, December, I remember distinctly starting to hear rumbling in the winter, what, do you remember when uh, you first heard about it in terms of the recording process? Because I feel like some of the lyrics have this bizarre, eerie foreshadowing. I don't know when these vocals were recorded, but they seem to really speak to this time. But if I understand things correctly, most of the lyrics were formulated prior to lockdowns and pandemic stuff. Do you have any insight there? That's right. It is sort of eerie especially with references to masks in the lyrics. That's one thing that gets brought up a lot. And uh, most of those lyrics were written before the lockdown happened and before we really knew the scale at which uh, COVID would wreak havoc on our lives. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say most of the record was recorded before the shutdown. We sort of got lucky. Uh, we had already been to two studios and worked with two different producers before things got crazy. So a lot of the record was done already. We sort of had to, you know, record overdubs independently, kind of email those to the producer and the guy that was mixing it hmm. at the end there. So did did you as, again, your role is uh, potentially uh, greater, I guess, or, or more dynamic. You weren't simply, I guess the, the way of saying it is you weren't just playing a drum kit and you said you were you've done some singing. Uh, did you do any writing on this record uh, lyrically? I mean, not lyrics. You know, uh, I I did kind of bring some ideas to the table uh, when we were recording that. Unfortunately, didn't make the record. But um, I will say that it was the most collaborative record in terms of just the process of how we approached each song. Hmm. There was a lot of just improvising all together in a room. And yeah, so it kind of was a bit of a different direction from how we usually approach it. Do you know what spurred that on, uh, that that more collaborative bent? Because from what I understand, uh, some of these songs that we're hearing that are three, four minutes long uh, stem from 40-minute jams or I think acid. There was a lot of acid being dropped uh, by somebody in the band and that the acid was a collaborator, someone took acid and then started writing. Is that, is any of this true? Yeah. My brother likes to um, refer to that as trippy lifting, right. uh, which is where he went to Italy on vacation and also to write songs. He was also working and um, I think he got really into taking acid and lifting weights while writing some of the songs. Yeah, that, that, um, that, so yeah, that, there that, were some ideas that were sort of brought um, into the session more fleshed out. But the first producer that we worked with, Roddy, was very instrumental in kind of encouraging us to improvise and play together in a room for like half an hour at a time. Right. And just kind of look for the best bits in that and sort of craft a song from there. I know from being in band practice rooms, it's not unusual for a band or a group to to jam on something until you you know, and that jam can go on a long time, uh, particularly relative to the finished result. You're trying to figure it out. Is it unusual for Parquet Courts to to go in that hard and play for that long uh, on one idea, or was it fairly normal uh, in any way? 
we had sort of experimented with that in the early days. A lot of the early days was just improvising at a practice base and making um, iPhone recordings and sort of listening back as we went along. And then, you know, as we got better at songwriting, we started, you know, crafting more ideas independently, bringing in some more fleshed out ideas. And then it was kind of a return to the old days with this record where so much of it was just, you know, jamming, just kind of coming up with stuff on the spot. Yeah. So we, you know, we had tried it before and I, I think that we've always been pretty good at that. It's one of the things we do really well is just coming up with ideas on the spot. I see. I, I, I started my question and then I got a little convoluted there. So forgive me, but going back to what I was trying to ask. Do you know what spurred on this notion? Was it just the producer's suggestion that you try jamming or was there anything uh, just internal to the band where we're like, let's just loose. Like, there's a connotation with jamming that it's looser. You said collaborative. That's true too. Rather than people coming in individually with uh, song ideas, because often I would think those are pretty structured, right? Like I came up with all the parts. Let's just play them together. Is that how people would normally bring stuff into parquet chords? Yeah, some some of the songs were definitely more structured uh, whenever they were brought to the group. Right. I think with this um, record, we didn't have as many structured demos necessarily when we started. So um, in some sense, then, you know, that was the only way to come up with all these ideas was, okay, now we're in the studio. We're working with Roddy, who's just, you know, really good with that sort of thing. And that's kind of what brought about the improvisational direction and roddy's background is not so much in rock centric music is that correct yeah he's worked with the xx before he does a lot of i think you know he used to be a dj he probably still does it yeah i would say his background is more dance more electronic and that certainly uh influenced the sound of the record this time and is he a collaborator of david burns as well um that i'm not 100 percent sure okay on. No, that's fair. I feel like there's a sort of rite of passage for any artful uh, New York post-punk or punk band where you start to get into Talking Heads territory, and I hear it more here. Do you? Do you? Does that resonate with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, they've always been an influence. Um, obviously, being a fellow New York band, so you look up to them for that reason, and especially with this last record, yeah, there are a lot more dancey numbers that certainly fall in line with the Talking Heads sound. There's the dancier or energetic aesthetic, but there's actually, to me, like lyrical, fra- uh, rather phrasing, uh, singing, where I'm like, whoa, like uh, there's a, and I'm, it escapes me, but there are songs. Actually, yeah, I, I don't have a specific example. There are a few songs where I'm like, oh. Wait, isn't this a Talking Heads melody almost? And then the, then the sonic uh, aesthetic as well. I mean, uh, it's it, that's a fascinating band. Like they, <laughs> I feel like they've never gone out of vogue, and people are constantly discovering them. Are they a talking point? Uh, no pun intended. Um, among you as a as an influence, or is it just sort of one of those things where they're vaguely omnipresent in our milieu of kind of underground? rock music do you guys talk about the talking heads do you like the talking heads uh we all like the talking heads it's a name that gets brought up a lot especially you know in interviews when we're discussing our influences obviously talking head and primal scream are probably the two names that have come up most recently and both of those bands are certainly uh powerful influences uh yeah we're all fans of both of those bands it's funny because i feel like when the band first emerged the the name the comparison uh band that often people invoked was pavement uh (laughs) do you remember this does that ring a bell Oh how could i forget (laughs) yeah just like every day for you know the first couple of years of people paying attention to parquet courts every day was just you know being told that we sound like pavement there was the right, other and, part of that. And I, as I recall, uh, you weren't totally all familiar with, like you weren't like diehard Pavement fans per se. Is that right? I was a huge Pavement fan. Oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, I got really into them in high school. It's when I started listening to Pavement and I was a very big fan. Uh, both Andrew and I are big fans. Okay, so it's seeped in even though uh, I, I don't think it's fair that everyone jumped all over you guys with the pavement thing but yeah. uh at the same time it sounds like it's there in your core yeah i mean you'd like to think at the end of the day that you're able to sort of transcend uh your influences in a way and establish an identity of your own and you know at the end of the day we just want to sound like parquet courts 
But being fans of Pavement, you know, in, in a way you take it as a compliment because I think they're a great band. Yeah. And I feel like you, I, I should say, uh, for what it's worth hearing this from me in Canada, you guys have your own distinct identity. Like it's clearly, uh, I think sometimes when something sounds so distinctively unique in its time, uh, the lazy thing to do is like, well, it sounds like talking heads. It sounds like pavement. Mm -hmm. That's just a little anchor for me because I don't know what this is. So I would take, it's a really high compliment, uh, on one hand when people don't know what else to say, but to say, well, it reminds me of this thing that's more familiar and comfortable. So I don't know if that resonates with you, but all I'm saying is good job. You're doing great. <laughs> You're doing great. So Sympathy for Life, like we've discussed, most of the content, if you will, for the record was established pre-pandemic. And then it comes out uh, and people start to really uh, glom on to the dancier aspects of it. But when I listen to it, I'm like, it's it doesn't seem like solidly electronic. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, um, there are some more i guess straightforward rock numbers like um homo sapiens don't say don't don't say straightforward they're not straightforward they're they're interesting they're compelling i don't think they're straightforward i just wanted to interject i'm sorry no it's it's all right i didn't mean um straightforward <laughs> in a, a negative way i guess um more just like a traditional um yeah. rock band setup where we have two guitars bass and drums playing is yeah. what i meant uh with, where we sort of strip down the electronics Yes. And I feel like there's a quite a few of it. I feel like the top of the record is particularly like, oh, yeah, this parquet courts. And then it starts to go in a not to invoke another band, but a Sandinista kind of, oh, it's like a mixtape. It's uh, it's all over the place. I don't know if that does that record resonate with you guys. Do you like The Clash? I am not too familiar with it, to tell you the truth. Oh, OK. This is a triple record that came out in like, uh, I don't know, 80, 79, something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head. And I'm a fan. But uh, yeah, that's uh has that come up? Have people talked about that record in terms of this one? Uh, no, this is the first I'm um, hearing about it. What's it called? Breaking. Yeah, it's called Sandinista. Hang on, I'm going to grab yeah. my... Where is the C section of my... Oh, no, is it too far away? I think I can grab it for you. It's a triple record, and uh, it's very interesting. They had, like, success. I'm talking off the mic so people can't even hear what I'm saying. Here, it looks like this. I have it here now. See, I, I was talking oh, okay. off mic. This is Sandinista, and it's a, there's a lot of stuff on it. And sorry, you can't see this. Why am I showing this to you? It's I, can the internet. It. I can see it. It's got a lot of signs. Yeah. And so it was an experiment uh, along the lines of what you're talking about with your band. Uh, lots of jams, lots of remixes, lots of dub stuff, lots of sort of uh, manipulation of sound, if you will. And, and it had like a dancier quality but also a real rock quality so i think you're gonna i'm sorry to be the bearer of breaking news but i think you should check it out because there are songs on here that remind me of that as well i'll listen to it yeah yeah no it's great so all this to say i don't know where i was coming from with that but uh <laughs> it is a uh, it is fascinating to me that people are glomming on to what they view as a departure for the band when to me it it unfolds very organically is all i'm coming where i'm coming from you know what i mean yeah, we'd like to think that each record is sort of a logical progression uh, from its predecessor. Yeah, And, you know, it's always a dilemma whenever you're sitting down to make a record. You don't want to let down fans who are familiar with, you know, a certain sound, but at the same time you have to evolve. And um, you don't want each record to sound the same, but you don't want to deviate too much. Uh, you want to stay true to yourselves, obviously, uh, but you have to experiment always. Yeah. Absolutely. On a lyrical front, do you have perspective on what's going on on this record uh, in a overarching sense? Because we've addressed the kind of eerily prescient foreshadowing that's gone on. It does seem to be celebratory as much as it is as as it is critical of human beings and the way we function. But what, as a given, your creative writing minor. What is your take on the lyrical themes on this record? Putting my degree to use. <laughs> um, well, there's, there's a lot of um, juxtapositions, I would say. There's a lot of contrast between city life and rural life. Uh, that's a big theme of the song, Just Shadows. There's a lot of contrast between what it means to be human and how we interact with technology, especially apps on our smartphones. Um, that's pretty central to the song application apparatus. And, you know, with Austin songs, there's a lot of 
just celebration. And there's a lot of, you know, lyrics about dancing and uh, dreaming and, um, you know, laughing. And I think he was particularly nostalgic as we all were when he was writing some of those lyrics about the before times, you know, some of the lyrics did come about sort of after the lockdown happened. Okay. Yeah. I think we were just sort of reminiscing about when we could, you know, go out to bars or go out to clubs and just live normal lives. Yeah. I feel like the opening song walking at a downtown pace really captures that. Uh, And I couldn't help but assume that wasn't written before the pandemic. It seemed like someone had lived through a pandemic when they wrote that. Is that is that a fair assessment of that song? There were actually lyrics that were written beforehand and even recorded, and we sort of ended up changing some of them as we went along. You know, in some ways we couldn't help but update them as the world around us was changing. Yeah. So yeah, some of the lyrics did get revised, that's true. There's a few things that stick out to me in this time of, of isolation. One of them is and suddenly I am alone in the truest sense of the word. Do you know that who who wrote that one? That's Andrew. That's just shadows. Yeah. Is is that the acid talking? What's going on there? <laughs> I think um that was the one that I was talking about just now is sort of this contrast between city life and rural life. About starting off in the city and sort of then going out to the country and the difference between those two settings and being alone all of a sudden in the countryside, as opposed to obviously being in New York City, surrounded by all these people, which is kind of the energy of downtown Pace, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, these are all really catchy songs. They get in my head. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm haunted by them, but as we're speaking, it is close to Halloween. So I'll say I'm a little bit haunted by these songs. Uh, Marathon of Anger stuck out to me as well. My understanding is that it was uh, inspired by, well, it was inspired by uh, George Floyd's murder and then the aftermath, uh, people galvanizing uh, around that cause and Black Lives Matter. Is that accurate by your reckoning? I know you didn't write the song, so I apologize for putting you on the spot, but is, is that something you've discussed with the band or does that does that ring true? Yeah, I would say Austin was very inspired by um, that movement, especially in that particular time, right around the George Floyd incident. And um, I don't want to say too much on his behalf uh, since, yeah, as you know, he wrote the lyrics. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, man, there was so much happening in a way. It felt like the world was coming to an end <laughs> during uh, that, you know, early summer 2020 period when, you know. Right. There was the, the pandemic and the civil unrest. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that you don't want to speak on uh, someone else's words, but I also, and I've talked about this with other people um, uh, on the show, when when they are in a band but didn't come up with the lyrical content, I feel like at the same time you're, so you're external, but you're closer to the intent than we are because you're in the band. And it, I, I guess I wonder in Parquet Courts as the drummer, as someone listening to people sing at you, and, you know, listening to their vocals. Do you catch snippets of band conversation or discussion in songs? Do you like, oh, yeah, we talked about, we were talking about something like that. And now, Austin, Andrew, somebody's written a song that kind of follows up on those conversations. Does that occur? Yeah, I mean, that was certainly true um, with the pandemic happening, especially around March of 2020 when we were all in the studio and we were sort of, you know, just sharing our predictions about what was going to happen, how long the world would be shut down for, for example. And I think a lot of those anxieties can be felt on uh, some of the lyrics. Yeah. The, the album, the, the overarching theme of the, uh, any album is, is often captured in its title. Uh, given everything we've gone through over the last Particularly, the, I don't know, in your country, like you're an American. Now you're in D.C. You're closer to the political heart. And uh, that's the city that uh, can cause all of the calamities you face as a citizen. It's the city that can ease the burden. Sociopolitically, when I hear the, so- uh, the title Sympathy for Life coming from an American band, I wonder what that might mean in sort of a bigger picture perspective. Do you have any take on that? Like, what is Sympathy for Life and these songs? Does it reflect something about the last five, six, ten, two thousand years about being, <laughs> you know, as an American? 
Well, when we were recording this record, I mean, we saw life as we know change and it changed all around us and affected, affected all of us in different ways and affected all of us, you know, similarly also. And there were things that we took for granted before that we learned not to. And, you know, we learned that it was silly to complain about things that, you know, seemed so significant before, but now clearly in the grand scheme of things aren't. And I think having that appreciation for life, especially life as we knew it before the pandemic is kind of what the title is all about. Do you feel like we're too hard on each other? Um, I don't know. I mean, um, I think it's good to be hard on yourself, especially when you're making a record because you always have to push yourself to improve and to sort of explore new territories. We're not too hard on each other in the studio. Oh, um, I, sorry. I don't mean you guys as a band. Uh, I mean, when I hear Sympathy for Life, I do think there's a lot of shit going on where all of the fractured, fragmented stuff is, you know, again, you're in the seat of it, uh, living where you live, particularly in the city you live in. But like, I don't know, like you're younger than me, but the fragmentation I see every day over like whether or not to, you should wear a mask during a pandemic. You know, everything is politicized now. Everything, the weather, the climate, everything. So when I hear Sympathy for Life, I think that should give everyone a little, that title, <laughs> let alone the joyousness of these songs, I feel like it gives me pause. Like, I don't mean to say we should let up and not be critical, but at the same time, I feel like everyone's so hard on themselves, everyone's so hard on each other. That's what I, sorry, this is just me telling you my English essay interpretation of these songs and this title, but that's what it conjured for me. Like, maybe we're... Why don't we have sympathy for each other? You know, like particularly for a record that is born out of Black Lives Matter really uh, resonating with people. Life, you know, life is important. Human lives are important and we're so hard on each other all the time. So sorry, that's where I'm coming from. And, and I don't mean, I didn't mean it to be like, are you guys okay? You guys getting along okay? <laughs> you call it sympathy for life. But do you see where I'm coming from? Like on a bigger picture view? Yeah, I mean... um, I guess, you know, we have been hard on ourselves in some ways. That's been good because people have sort of taken it upon themselves to, for example, wearing masks is, you know, a way that it's not really about the person wearing the mask. It's about protecting others. And so, you know, in some ways it was helpful that we were strict about those things. I think sometimes that gets lost with people yeah. uh, who don't want to do that or don't want to give back. So that they just think about themselves and not how it's affecting others around them. Yeah. So in some ways it was good that we were hard on ourselves, I think. And in some ways we still have to, you know, obviously be vigilant, but you know, at the same time, um, life is slowly returning to normal. And, um, I think we are starting to unwind a bit. Yeah, I guess where I, and I think you captured it where I'm coming from a sympathy for life to me as a title, as a banner for this collection of songs invokes empathy as well. Just like thinking, thinking of others. And I know that themes, uh, lyrical themes like that have, uh, been, been occurring on parquet court songs for the longest time. You know, just thinking about your place and the world and, and how you relate to others is, you seem like, um, good, nice people is where I'm coming from. Yeah. We're a pretty nice band. We're not too crazy. We're not as crazy as other bands I hear about. We don't get kicked out of hotels or anything. Yeah, I just uh, profiled the, the new replacements box set thing that's out. And uh, recently on the show, I talked to some of the people who put it together. Are you familiar with the replacements? Yes. They they were not nice to uh, other people. They really? really weren't. There's so much. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it's horrible. Like They just self-sabotaged themselves and didn't seem to care about anyone's feelings. Yet they're very beloved by the people who love them. Uh, and, and fans external to them, we love them. But when you read uh, about what they got up to and how they treated others, it's not good. And so, but at the same time, there was, they were overcoming their own trauma and pain. And there was a lot there to, to set them off. Anyway, not to go on a tangent. Yes. Sympathy for Life makes me feel like it's just, to me, it's a hopeful record. And I hope it's appreciated by others. Is there anything you want to say about it? Uh, in terms of what you hope people take away from it, we've gotten into kind of the nuts and bolts of the sound and some of the ideas. But if if people pick this up, 
What do you hope they take away from it, if you will? I know it's a big question, but what do you think? I hope people find it to be uplifting and I hope it challenges people. You know, we don't necessarily want our fans to just immediately love each record. We sort of want to, we sort of want them to sit down with it. Maybe it takes a few listens and maybe it's not what they expect, but that's a good thing at the end of the day, if you know, it grows on them. Um, I think, yeah. yeah, so people should be uplifted by it, but you know, also I hope that it makes people think, especially about the lyrics, which, you know, I'm glad we were able to touch upon a little bit. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't get full on in. Is there anything you want to talk about that we didn't, I was all over the place. I, did I do a bad job? Was I bad at this? I didn't mean to be bad. I was trying to get into it. This was a really, really good interview. Um, honestly, one of the best ones I've ever done. It was really comprehensive. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, we were able to touch on a lot. Okay, good. Just making sure. I just get hard on myself by the end. I don't know why. Not publicly so much, but I did it today. I don't know why. No, no I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate that. So uh, you said things are slowly getting back to normal. American bands in particular are announcing tour dates and plans. Uh, is that in the offing uh, for Parquet Courts as we're speaking? Yeah, we're going on tour next week, actually. We're doing a little run of the East Coast, starting in North Carolina and uh, working our way up to New England. Oh, cool. That's great. I assume you were pretty much grounded. Oh, well, you mentioned just playing a show at the Bowery Ballroom. Have you been playing much since, uh, you know, March of 2020 or have you been pretty, pretty quiet? Well, Parquet Courts played our first show in almost two years. Uh, back in August, we played, uh, White Eagle Hall in New Jersey. That was our first show back since November 2019. Um, it was surreal because <laughs> I just, you know, I never got my hopes up and I kept saying, I'll believe it once, you know, I'm sitting there behind the drum kit and we're playing the songs. But no, we, we have gotten back to it. We've been doing some weekend shows, some one-off festivals. Uh, but this upcoming run is sort of our first tour in a while. So really excited for it. Congratulations. Did you at any point have the feeling, what if I never get to play a live show ever again? Did that ever occur to you? Um, I thought that I would play again. I didn't realize it would happen as soon as it did. I mean, I was prepared for not having any shows for the rest of 2021 and waiting until summer 2022 at the earliest. Maybe I'm just pessimistic, but again, like I said, I didn't want to get my hopes up. So I tried to be realistic about the whole thing, especially at a time when we didn't know what was going to happen. We still don't. I mean, we don't know what variant is going to come. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's uh it's a difficult thing. And you unfortunately beyond just the uh the livelihood aspects of being a musician, you know, not being able to play and and earn a living, there's the notion of galvanizing a group of people and putting them in harm's way even if the promoter says it's okay. I'm sure that must plague you a little bit. Not to no pun intended. I didn't mean to invoke the the term plague. But I'm sure it you're like, "Oh my god, like we're responsible for putting a bunch of people in a room together. What if someone spreads the thing like I'm, I'm sure you you must have that uh that pause in your head of like what are we doing right now yeah absolutely we do all that we can for example you know uh everyone in the audience has to be vaxxed to come to a parquet court show if you're not vaxxed please don't come yeah and you know that you know that's one of the preliminary uh steps you can take uh one of the precautions you can take yeah but, you know, you you have to strike a balance between staying safe in the interest of public health and making a living. And, of course, the way that we do that is by is largely by playing shows. Yeah. No, it's totally fair. And I'm glad I'm glad you do play shows. The last time I saw the band was in Toronto when I lived in Toronto, uh, in Ontario, I should say. And uh, it was at the Danforth Music Hall. It was fantastic. Just amazing. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember do you any memory? I know you play lots of shows. Let's see. I'm trying to remember uh, the times we played in Toronto, and I'm sure if you know, I, I saw the place. So <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but it was a large uh, theater, but with, there were no seats, and it was rammed, and people went. You guys were fantastic, and people went nuts, and it was it was just great. So that was for uh, it must have been for Wide Awake, I think, is so it wasn't that long ago. But mm-hmm. in any case, fantastic. Uh, I love your band. Uh, thank you for this time. But uh, before we go. Uh, Max, if people, I feel like parquet courts are a little low key in the social media realm, but I will ask anyway, if people want to learn more about, uh, your band, parquet courts or Max band, uh, where would you like to direct them, uh, on the internet generally? 
Um, well, Parquet Courts has a new website. Just yeah, I'm, I think it's just a Google search away. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So really proud of this new website. So check it out. And um, you know, Max Band's uh, Instagram is Max Band NYC. If you're interested in that. And uh, yeah, those are probably the two main outlets as far as the internet. Okay. And the band has been engaging in some really cool visual sort of compliments uh, to the record. Are you aware of these things? Did you have a hand in them? The visual side, I would say, is mostly Andrew. I did design um, some drumsticks, actually, because we're doing all these events for the rollout of the album. And there's one event per song that correspond with each other. Uh, the yeah. first big event was we had a marching band. It was the Big Gay Apple Corps. We had a marching band perform walking at a downtown pace. And we were sort of handing out drumsticks as a giveaway. And I designed, got to design those drumsticks. And that was a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Mm. Nice. Okay. And so for some of these other things, I assume, like to watch them now, I assume what YouTube, the band's website, we'll figure, like just find oh, it that yeah. way. Oh, yeah. Sorry, if you're referring to the music videos, yes, we have a different yeah. music video for every song on the record. Uh, it was an incredible right. feat that uh, kind of only recently fully finished i mean the premiere of those videos was last night and yeah all those those videos will end up on youtube and yeah we have a, a wide variety there's animated videos there's cartoon yeah. videos there's puppets there's live action so yes yeah, let's watch all of them very cool no i, I appreciate the band's uh, efforts you're not pavement used to be called slackers remember they wouldn't uh they people thought they didn't do anything which is we were, i never thought that was we that, were that always true. called slackers early on um smart asses too we're still called smart asses which can be fair sometimes although the word slacker doesn't get thrown out as much which is a relief because we're not slackers we're a hard-working band you work so hard and i resent the term being directed at you or any most i direct most i i resent most terms <laughs> i resent all of them i don't think they're accurate and uh they pigeonhole people and yeah you're the opposite so i mean for god's sake uh what kind of person uh, is a slacker if while working out they drop acid that's that's <laughs> multitasking that's the yeah. opposite Hardly. Most people would just drop the acid or do the workout. Your brother, both. That's the opposite of slacking. But anyway, uh, if we can go out on a song, Max, from the new Parquet Courts record, uh, I wonder if you can choose one. And if so, uh, tell us why you chose it. I mean, start with Walking at a Downtown Pace, which is the first song on the record. And it's the first song for a reason. I think it's just a great way to come out of the gate with a bang. And I think it'll it'll grab listeners right away we've been day we've been sort of opening with it live um i think it's just a great intro to the energy of this new record yeah i want to grab a guitar and figure out the main guitar line it's very <laughs> hip, exciting I, I like how i like it so i'm going to figure that out okay this is from the uh, excellent new parquet courts record sympathy for life this is walking at a downtown pace. Uh, Max, uh, once again, thank you so much for making time for me today. I really appreciate this conversation and I hope we speak again and I wish you the best of luck uh, in the future. Thank you, Vish. It's been great.
Size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. A ah, very special thanks again to Max Savage of Parquet Courts for appearing on this, the 650th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on uh, Facebook if you want to. You can follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Instagram and on Twitter, at Vish Kana. Imagine like 20 years from now, none of these things exist, but the uh, episodes of the show still exist and people don't know what those things are. Just imagine that. That's probably going to happen, maybe. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, Please simply message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. That content, by the way, often derived from my audio archives. I've been interviewing people and recording those conversations for damn near 16, 17 odd years. So every once in a while I dig in, go through the tapes and the digital files and try to find something that I think might be interesting. And I post it. Uh, on the Patreon. So $6 or more grants you access to um, nascent Vish. Vish who is still trying to figure out how to interview people, and I'm still trying to do that now, don't get me wrong, but you know, some things are rough, they don't sound that great, but sometimes they sound great and the conversation's great, and I just don't have any, anything, you know, anywhere else to put it. Might as well, you know, give it to you as a gift to, for your generosity. So anyway, learn more about all of that at patreon.com slash creativecontrol and remember, you're supporting the show. Uh, I mean, that's that's one thing to think. I got the, the rest of the show is free. 
So you go to Patreon and you, it's whatever you want. A dollar, two dollars, three dollars, five dollars, six dollars, whatever it is, a month, whatever you can afford. Patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Also, thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf in Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, thanks as always to my friend Jim Guthrie. He lets me use some music of his on the show, and you can learn more about Jim and his amazing and vast catalog of song at his website, jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Max from Parquet Courts. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. As I alluded to on the episode, uh, Max's brother and other bandmate there, Austin from Parquet Courts, were on the show a couple, two, three, four years ago now. I don't remember exactly when Wide Awake came out. So dig back through the archives if you like Parquet Courts. And if not, if you didn't know the band or just want to, you know, follow the show, please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. Follow the show. And uh, that's about it. Spread the word if you can. Thank you very much. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.